and welcome to Make It Rain. I'm your host, still Andrew Morton. And I'm still, and forever, Susan the Corgi. Susan the Corgi. <laughs> all British, all killer, no filler British style. That's right. We're back um, with another very exciting episode for you all today to ingest on your uh, digital feeds. Um... We had to, if you were listening last week, you know, we had to split our book club into two parts because we had so many thoughts on Diana, her true story, Andrew Morton's 1992 book. Um, so we're back this week. Yeah, I feel, I feel like, yes, uh, last week was a lot of content. It was a lot of facts, mm-hmm. capital F, but there's a lot more to come. And so get ready. You know what? For old Di or Dutch, as she liked to be called. Yep. It kind of gets a little bleaker. I think it does. Let, shall we get into it? Let's shall, just, we, shall we give the people what they want? Let's just dive in. And if what you want is our uh, normal brand of off-color humor, um, you can probably check back in next week and we'll be making some more jokes. Yeah. But this is pretty heavy, so we're finding it tough. Finding it really tough. Yeah, we haven't quite towed the line with macabre Huber. humor. <laughs> humor. Whatever. I just will be funny next week. Let's just go. Okay. So, flashback. That's flashing back to 1982. When Diana and uh, Prince Charles popped their first baby out. Well, let's actually like rewind it a little bit because we missed a suicide attempt. Okay, I can't read your mind. Okay, well, I have the notes here, so I'll do it. Okay, you go. You go. So let's start back up uh, where we picked up last week. This was pre-William, 1982. Right now we see Princess Diana at peak uh, eating disorder. She's super bulimic. She's, you know, not having a good time of it. Her and Charles are trying to make things work. All of a sudden, she finds out that she's three months pregnant with baby Wills, my lover. Um, (laughs) But... This doesn't offer them any reprieve from their relationship and their problems. So they start fighting. Things get heated. Diana has her second suicide attempt and throws herself down a flight of stairs. This part really stuck out to me. Like, that is, that's bleak. Yeah. And I mean, throughout the book, she says she kind of is doing it for attention. But regardless of whether it's attention-seeking or truly... You know, and a suicide attempt, that's heavy shit. Yeah, it's pretty drastic, especially because, I mean, aside from Gone with the Wind, I don't really know anybody who, like, I've never heard of this before, and I was actually really shocked to read this. Charles says that he's going to go out riding. Diana gets upset, throws herself down a flight of stairs. The Queen Mother finds her, and the Queen Mother and Diana have a really tempestuous relationship. Diana always saw the Queen Mother as kind of driving a wedge between her and the rest of the family. So after that, she has to get help. And that's where we see her. She doesn't take any like medication or anything, but she kind of dives into therapy. Rest of her pregnancy goes as planned. And then Prince William was born on June 21st, 1982. Happy birthday, little buddy. (laughs) Happy birthday, baby bear. (laughs) I just got lost thinking about him. No, I know. For those of you who haven't been following my co-host's obsession and restraining order with Prince William, you can listen to one of our podcast episodes from a few weeks ago. I think it's called The Thirst is Will. It is. So check that out. 
But back to 1982. So Diana uh, gives birth to Prince William. And I think at this time she kind of hopes that maybe things will get better. Like maybe this this child will be the turning point. Which I think a lot of couples do. Mm-hmm. They think uh, a baby is going to fix their problems and make things a little bit better. And from what the book says, Charles kind of becomes a hands-on father. He tells people that he's, you know, doing nappy duty and he's leaving events to get home earlier to spend time with William. There is one anecdote that I really liked, which was when the queen met uh, William in the hospital, she said, thank goodness he doesn't have ears like his father. And I just think that's very bib. That's very Elizabeth. That's something we can all thank God for also. like, Poor guy. Not really. He's a real dick. It's funny because Kate said something similar about maybe it was prince george when he was born that like he doesn't have hair like his father ha 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 or something like that oh i think it was the nose nose was it hair something insulting maybe that's just their brand of humor it's just to kind of (laughs) that's just their brand of humor is to show love through insulting one another just like me just like (laughs) just like us okay let's carry on um what happens next hit me with the notes So basically, Diana is, you know, busy being mom. The press kind of turns on Diana during this time. They kind of are taking her as like being too controlling and uh, not being really the princess that they thought she was. But she proves them wrong by going on her first solo trip to Grace Kelly's funeral. And that kind of wins everybody over. And so Diana is really emerging now as like the person who's going to go out of the family to do good. And that was something that really was, she said it was kind of a turning point for her because no one wanted her to go to the funeral. No one wanted her to represent the monarchy. And she, I guess, had had formed a relationship with Grace Kelly because she had met her previously and they had talked about how difficult royal life is. Yeah. So she felt a, a personal connection with her and she really wanted to go. And she kind of like Prince Charles said, no, you're not going. Kind of the press office said can't go so she had to go above them all and actually go to the queen herself and say okay I'm going to this and it was I think it kind of empowered her to realize that you or she wasn't just an accessory to to Prince Charles but it also kind of shows that the royal family maybe has like anybody any one of us would have thought of course you go if you knew that person or you you show up for them. Mm-hmm. But how their first reaction is to kind of pull back and not be too showy. But then things kind of change even more for Diana. And the second part of the book is when you really start seeing how structured and confined her life is. There's a lot of talk of security detail and not being allowed to go anywhere. You know, they said, I think they even covered this with Meghan Markle when she became a royal. Uh, there was a break-in at Buckingham Palace in the 80s or the early 90s, and Princess Diana had to do, like, hostage training. Mm-hmm. And there's one part in the book where she says that her idea of paradise is just to sit on the couch with some baked beans on toast and watch TV. But, like, this life that she's living is so different. It's it's actually insane. I wish that she would also aspire for more than baked beans on toast. Yeah, I guess it, I know that's a very British thing, like a staple of every breakfast. But just, breakfast. like, just one, one step up. I couldn't do it. That's not my idea of paradise. I love, love toast. Beans are okay. The two combined, not for me. Love TV. Love a couch. <laughs> just leave the beans. 
this is actually something too that I wanted to talk to you about. Are okay. you shocked at how much she relies on like astrologers in the book? Yeah, she's really into that shit. And as someone who recently started to believe in the power of stars, <laughs> this is this is resonating with me. I had an experience recently. I won't get into it on the pod, but I now believe in astrology and I checked my horoscope and I knew it would happen and it happened. That's so weird so to me. So me and Diana, I'm doing a thing where I mean to do like a link for for those of you at home. Maybe I'll put up a picture later. Uh, it's kind of a, a finger link uh, to show we're, we're the same. Yeah, twinsies. Twinsies. <laughs> However you want to show twinsies on your hands, that's what Hillary was doing. Yeah. But it's so weird to me because... Like, it's a fun aspect of life. Like, oh, I'm a Leo. Like, what does it say today? But it's so... You but c- some it c- people are very into it. Okay. Like, we, freakishly into it. Not saying that she's freakishly into it, but we have our own little Sabrina the Teenage Witch in the office of Sarah Rahoman, and she reads tarot cards as well. She the, gave me a very authentic reading, too. She did for me as well. So but, I'm just saying, the stars don't lie. But it just seems like such a whimsical outlet for such a structured life and maybe that's what she's looking for like something divine to intervene and someone to just give her answers but there's a lot of astrologers and psychics consulted in her life Mm -hmm. that she talks about in the book I I was just very surprised by that yeah and it's it's kind of like an outlet for her I, I agree with you that it's kind of like her looking for someone to tell her you know, why her life has taken such a course, why she's feeling like she is, why her husband is a... Philanderer? Philanderer. Emotionally unavailable and physically unfaithful? And emotionally unfaithful. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, she was really into stars. Star stuff. Man. Not astronomy. (laughs) Not astronomy, just astrology. Um, So then uh, cut to 1984, and I guess there's an unplanned pregnancy. Not going to say unplanned, like a surprise with Prince Harry. This makes me so sad. This part of the book really, like, made me think more of who Prince Harry has become as a human and how much his dad is just horrible. Okay, so let me me set it up, and then I want to hear your thoughts, because basically... Diana finds out while pregnant that she's having a boy, but she knows Prince Charles wants a girl. So she keeps the secret fr- secret from him. When he's born, Charles, they say in the book, and by they, like, let's re- reiterate, all of this comes from Diana. It's later revealed that this is directly from the source, that Charles' reaction was like the final straw of they're never, she's never going to fix her. She said it was like the last, basically the last day of, their marriage yeah the closing door he apparently looked at prince harry said oh it's a boy and he's even got rusty hair so just completely (laughs) unimpressed brushes him off poor little harry the cutest little ginger baby to ever be he was super cute cute. and going back to what you said earlier where you know you get pregnant you have a bad relationship but you think i'm sure she had some kind of inkling that this maybe this would help until it was a boy and until he was a ginger yeah and again the ginger is you know there's a lot of speculation about like oh who's harry's father Mm -hmm. i don't buy that shit because everybody on the spencer side has red hair 
They were all rusty. Yeah, that's all a Spencer trait. And they even talk about James Hewitt later in the book, which we, I don't think we're going to talk about because it's just a passing thing. But they don't become acquaintances until Harry's already born. So, yeah, we just kind of see from this point on in the book, she kind of allows him to be distant from her because it gives her more time to just be a mom. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Princess Diana's charity work. And we're also going to get into a little someone you might know as the Duchess of York. Why don't you just stay with us? Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We see now with Will and Kate and probably Harry and Meghan how different they are from Royal's in the past. And Diana was really the first one to kind of start that. I mean, both Will and Harry, I think they both went to Eton College, so it was still a private school away from home. But she was very much, she didn't want them to live the confined royal life that she felt like she was living. She didn't want them to be raised completely in Buckingham Palace and never see the outside world. So for that, like, she would always take uh, Prince William out for lunch to to visit her friends. She would one part stuck out to me, and we can get into this a bit later. But one of her dear friends, I would say, not too long before the book was released, or kind of in the very end of the book, one of her dear friends was uh, dying of AIDS, and she made a very much an effort to go visit him and alleviate any pain and bring him the joy she felt she could. And one thing she did was she always would bring Prince William with her because she wanted him to know that, you know, like life is fleeting and bad things happen. And this is kind of a picture of life. It's not just you're good because you're in the palace. Yeah. The the back end of the book really talks about her charity work. Another part, though, before we get into that, um, was this Diana and Fergie relationship. Fergie. Fergie I did not in. know that they were so... So Pally. I thought they like met through family, but no. Diana brought Sarah Ferguson as a guest because they asked for single women to come to like a royal ascot party. Sarah Ferguson obviously obviously marries Prince Andrew. And there's almost like she brings out a childish side or like a jovial side. Diana, who's like barely out of her 20s. But there's almost like a resentment there as well because... Everyone seems to take to Sarah Ferguson really well as kind of being this like fiery, redheaded, and spirited woman. There's one part where Prince Charles says, like, why can't you just be more like Fergie? Exactly. Which is 
And she tries. Like, the thing is, Diana really tries to kind of be funny and outgoing and... Silly. Silly. And because she's in a slightly different position than Fergie, it's viewed as, like, childish and immature, not fun and jovial. Yeah, there's one blind that says she was expected to be a clothes horse and an obedient wife. And that kind of made me think about how we are viewing Megan and Kate, like, Kate, not so much. I mean, Kate has a style effect, but there really is this emphasis. I mean, granted, she's just in the limelight now, but of fashion when it comes to royals, when, yeah, I, I mean, I do love looking at fashion, but there's it's very gendered. And now Diana is kind of saying, like, aside from all the pretty clothes that she gets attention for, she doesn't want that. She wants to be known for other things. She kind of turns away from all the designers and um, big-name photographers and you know, Vogue editors that she's become friends with because she uh, she decides that she would rather be more known for what she contributes to the world. I think the, the turning point for that was when they went on a ski trip. Yes. And one of her friends died in an avalanche. Major Hugh Lindsay, who was an equerry to the queen, he died. Uh, and they didn't know, they say that there's a point where they didn't know who was it. So it was like either Charles or Prince Andrew, but they didn't know, but they thought, they just knew somebody died. And there's like a whole part about the panic that they all felt. And she says that while everyone was kind of panicking, she really went into like planning mode. Like she packed up his suitcase. She kind of wanted to be there to support the wife when they got back to, to London. Who and was pregnant. Who was pregnant. Like six months pregnant. It's, it's awful. And I think that Charles wanted to stay skiing. And Diana was kind of like, no, you're going back. You have to be there when they take his body back. This is not something that we're we're fighting over. This is yeah. what you're doing. And Diana plans for the wife to come and stay with them. She even takes her on holiday later. And that, that's something that we see a lot of is like Diana kind of not, I don't want to say inserting herself into situations, but there's another um, story that you'll hear where she like visits She's in the hospital for something else and she kind of stumbles across his family with someone at the deathbed and she kind of sits there and comforts them. So like she's she does her best when she's taking care of people. And I can see how when there's so much public attention on her and in the book, the source, Diana, reveals that this is something she, she really deeply cares about. But I can see and we, we see the media, you know, the media kind of pony show, dog and pony show every every day here. Uh, not saying that we do it. Of course we don't. Never. Um, but there always has to be something in the news. So I can see why the media would criticize her as only seeing part of this. Like, oh, one of her friends is dying. Well, she's going to fly back so she can comfort him for the, the last day and be there at the very end, but never again. Mm -hmm. um, with this family that she met in the hospital, it was like, it's very easy to see how that would be misinterpreted especially when they kind of waffled on whether they liked her or not. It seems like, yeah, I mean, if you don't know deeply and intimately what she's doing, it's you can see how they would think it's just kind of you're there when you when you want to be seen. Yeah, which isn't the case, obviously. But there's also this like resurgence of Diana's eating disorder again. They talk about a trip to Vancouver where Diana actually passes out because she... What does she say? It's something like, I'm going to fade I'm, away I'm going to disappear. Disappear. And she passes out, I think, while they're on a plane. 
or when they're getting off of a plane or something. And Charles and is mad. He scolds her for not fainting in private. Like there's just and instead this of guy, man. Yeah, he scolds her for not fainting in private. He'll say to her um, whenever she's eating, "Is this going to reappear later?" Like he is just he not, just doesn't give a shit. He thinks not it's troubling sensitive. for for him. It's it's an annoyance to him, which is. I mean, you think of what she could have been if she would have just had the support of anybody. And that's what one of her friends says is like the shame of their relationship is if they were together, like they could have done like, you know, emotionally together, they could have done endless amount of good. And even I think I think she also says, I think it's Carolyn, whatever, her friend, her former flatmate who's known Diana for years, said that even if it's like, they could have struck a partnership. There have been plenty of royals and other, you know, celebrity-leaning couples in history who don't love each other, but they make it work because they have kids together, they're looking for a common good, and that's what this really could have been. Not saying they should have stayed together. Right. But it could have been, they could have done so much more. If they were just, if, if they he would was have, kinder to her. Right. So this brings us to Adrian Ward Jackson, who's Diana's friend, and this is kind of where Diana becomes really involved with the AIDS crisis. Again, this is early 90s, late 80s, so the AIDS epidemic is, I think there's a lot of hysteria surrounding it. People aren't really sure what to make of it, so Diana becomes involved in fundraising, and one of her good friends, who was the chairman of the AIDS Crisis Trust, uh, contracts HIV, develops AIDS, and Diana is there pretty much for every doctor's appointment. She'll take care of his best friend, and then... While she's on vacation, uh, things get worse, and Diana ends up flying back to be with him. So I liked that story. I thought that showed the kind of caretaker Diana that I remember. And then again, then there's a an injury with Prince William that this story pissed me off. This I didn't know that this happened. Like I don't remember it, and it boiled my blood. Yeah, <laughs> basically, there's. When Prince William was young, I think maybe like eight or ten. Yeah, it's 91, 91 or two, so, so he'd be nine, ten. Nine, nine years old. He got, what was he doing? He was playing with a golf club. A golf club, and basically somehow got a head injury, dented his little, little skull. Oh. As somebody who also had a head trauma as a child, I feel very. I felt a kinship with him. Another connection. I know. For the for the love. Basically, they said he has to have surgery. It'll probably be fine, but you know, there's always a chance with a with a head injury that he may have brain damage. It might be, you know, tough getting out of the woods post-surgery. I think like but any parent who gets a phone call that their kid yeah, of course. has hurt themselves is panicking. Of course. Not Charles. Nope. Charles goes to the opera. Charles said, hmm, seems fine to me. Let's go to the opera. And Diana stayed by William's side. And thankfully, as we all know now, everything was fine. But like, that is such a good example of how they differed in the things they cared about, the things they placed importance on, even when it came to their own family. And then this is where actually Charles's team... He got a lot of backlash for this, which I've never even heard of. But this is where they start kind of arranging photo ops for Charles to be in public with his kids because no, because he basically does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. 
And so they arranged for him to like take them to school or like go out walking with them. Yeah, so we can get good PR. It's all just trash. It's all just trash. Then here we are, 1992. Uh, Fergie and Andrew split. This was kind of the end of the book. This is where it's left. Fergie and Andrew split. And it was something that Fergie had been, I guess, considering for a long time. Um, She, like Diana, felt that the confinement of royal life was just too much. The pressure was too great. And she just, she wasn't making it happen anymore. When, When she joined the royal family, people were very interested in her and thought she was very, you know, vivacious and outgoing. And then people became tired of her, just like they kind of did with Diana. Mm -hmm. And she just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah, this whole thing kind of seems super sad to me because it's like Diana gets a glimpse of how quickly the royal family will just shut you out, which is weird because, I mean, and I'm sure we'll talk about Fergie later on, her and Andrew remained very good friends. But this is where Diana talks about watching... um, you know, just the whole royal family turn on her. So it was kind of like a preview of if I left Charles or Charles and I separated, what would happen? And I found it really interesting in the appendix of the book, too. There's like this little part where they talk to a law professor and basically go through, could Charles divorce Diana? Could she continue with her royal duties if this happened? Could she keep her kids? What would the life be? And it's really kind of haunting reading that Again, knowing that, you know, what year did they divorce? 1996, that three or four-ish years after this book came out that they did divorce. Right. And it's really weird as well because you see, like, the royal family's involvement in their split, too. So, like, Fergie and Andrew are kind of told by the royals, like, you're not going to divorce right away. You're going to take, like, a private two-month, like, cooling off period. So it seems like... This family really tries to micromanage everything. And the book ends with Diana basically saying, I did my best and that's all I can do. That's really sad. It is sad. She did do her best. We all did our best. You know what? I don't so I don't want to be super critical of her because I feel like she's a person who is in a lot of pain, but I do feel like I need to remember that this is just one person's side. Yeah, and Reading this in 1992, when you didn't know what the sources were, I can see it feeling a little more kind of, you know, unbiased. But obviously, this is Diana's perception. And as you said, she harbored a lot of pain, a lot of resentment for good reason. But it is one person's side of the story. Yeah. So I think that's that's a good thing to remember. But I mean, I haven't read much on Charles. I'd be, I honestly don't think because she's such a beloved figure that there's anything that that anybody could reveal about her that would change public perception that much. Especially because of the way that she, you know, her tragic death. Mm-hmm. It's just like, at this point, I don't think it, and much is going to change. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts. What surprised you about the book? What did you... I think the biggest surprise for me, I knew that Charles was kind of a distant sensitivity chip missing man, but the stories that she told and the strategic nature of where he placed himself and when was truly shocking to me. I always knew that Camilla Parker Bowles was a thing, but I was also really blown away by the involvement that she had in the entirety of Charles and Diana's relationship. That really 
struck a chord with me, especially, I mean, again, reading it now, knowing that Charles and Diana divorced, Camilla and Charles got married, and there she is, you know, however many years after all this happened, still at his side. That's fucked up. It is. I, uh, one of the things, I mean, I'd be interested to, to read more about them as well. One of the things that I think I kept thinking of throughout this whole book, though, they kind of brush over Diana and Charles falling in like in love or in some yeah. form of love. Part of me just wanted to be to think, then why are you with him? Like, why were you? Was there any redeeming quality about him? And I think that's because it is from a place it was written from a place of pain and chaos but i'd be interested to read maybe a story of the sweet things that he did or what makes him likable because to me to me it's just kind of like young impressionable woman gets um maybe a schoolish girl crush on somebody and gets swept up in this fairy tale that's not at all a fairy tale is there anything likable about him TBD. TBD. Another thing on kind of on a lighter note, aside from all of the, the you know, the serious topics, there was a lot of like the like the things that she did to feel better. It's like the astrologers, expensive aromatherapy, like acupuncture, sh- acupuncture, um, dance lessons and thing and Tai Chi. And there was just like this kind of there's almost like a real housewives type lifestyle <laughs> where it's like. Oh, you know, no, I'm feeling down. I need my Tai Chi today and some, like, lavender-scented oils. Like, it was so strange to me. She's just like us. She's a modern woman who wants her oils. And a good candle and a good massage. That's all from us this week, I think. Yeah, I think so. Should we announce our, our next pick? Yeah. Hit me. I'll give you the drum roll. The next book. Sarah, the Duchess of York, my story. Everybody's got stories. And um, God, I'm hoping this one's a little more uplifting because we could use we could use the lols, you know? This is a 1996 book. It's not by Andrew Morton, um, but I'm hoping for some some dirt on Fergie Ferg, not Pea Pants Ferg. The Duchess, but not the Pea Pants Duchess. And I'm I'm really one. interested because this is somebody who seriously got shit on in the press. I can say that. Shit on in the press. She did. For her weight, Duchess of Pork, that was the thing for a while. And it seems like as we near, like, Eugenie's wedding, everything is kind of bubbling back up again. So uh, I'm really excited to read this one. So maybe in about a month we're going to do this? Yeah. We'll uh, We'll try to get it out a little quicker than the last one. I've learned to read now, so... Should be no problem. Should she's be hooked, sailing. She's hooked on Demphonics. Yep. Um, so if you have any book suggestions or any thoughts about our book club, let us know. You can tweet us at Yahoo Style CA. You can hit us up on Instagram, same handle. And uh, in the meantime, you can download us wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. I don't know, the podcast store. Check it out. That's all from us. And we'll be back with... More royal goss and some good laughs. We we promise to deliver you laughs next week. We're gonna we're gonna bring you right up. And then we're gonna tear you down. <laughs> Bye! Bye! You want me to tell a joke in the meantime? No. Okay. We've heard those.